Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. All right, and welcome to the Utah Puck Report. I'm your host, Jay Stevens. We've got special guests in the studio. Of course we do, because that's what we do. Uh, ben Wilner's made it. How you know, are you? There you go. I thought you weren't going to talk again for a second. <laughs> <laughs> we also have Alex Truscott in the studio today. Alex, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Uh, I'm really good. I'm all excited right. that you're here. Uh, yeah. Thanks for lighting me up this morning. That was uh, humiliating, <laughs> humbling all at once. Uh, Alex is in from Niagara University. Am I saying that right? Is it University yeah. of Niagara? Niagara University? Yeah, Niagara University. Okay. Small school. Very small. 4,000 people. Yep. But it's NCAA Division One. Yep. All right. Uh, what conference are you guys in? We're an Atlantic Hockey Conference. So what's kind of tell me the schools that you've played so far this year? Uh, our out of conference games, we played Colgate, Western Michigan, and Penn State. So that was super cool. Colgate, we played in our barn, but Western Michigan and Penn State are two of the craziest atmospheres to play in. We got to go there, so it's cool to get that under my belt as a freshman. It's a cool experience to have all of Western Michigan students yelling at you at one time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Same thing with Penn State. They've got a legendary student section, and that was the second weekend of the year. So that was kind of baptism by fire into college hockey. But it's been awesome. And then other than that, it's just been league play. Atlantic hockey's a tough league for sure. So it's been a jump from junior, but it's been a blast. And last year you were in the NAHL? Yeah. All right. So I want to talk about all that. Uh, I want to I lead up into it. Um, because one of the things we like to do as Utahns is we like to figure out the path that you took because everybody that's listening, and, and believe me, uh, everybody that approaches me, has uh, they have a couple questions. One of the questions is, we want to know how that kid got out of this state and made it somewhere on scholarship or, you know, how did hockey pay off? What's the route? Because that's obviously everybody wants to get out of here. And we've talked about that in the past, too, and hopefully you don't have to necessarily always leave here to get out of here. So tell me your first memory of hockey. Oh, geez. My first memory of hockey was probably uh, we were in Denver around the time that the Avs were going on their cup runs and really a powerhouse in the NHL. So that's where I kind of got the hockey bug, right? And my family did not have any hockey history at all. So my earliest memory was me convincing my mom to sign me and my brother up for learn to skate lessons. Really? And it took us about six weeks to figure out what hockey skates were. <laughs> so every week we'd go out there and figure skates or the little buckle up uh, skates or everything else. And they'd get us off the ice and tell our mom, you got to get these kids hockey skates. We had no idea what they were. And then finally we got into a hockey clinic once we figured out the skates. We went out there. Everybody else is in full gear, kind of know what they're doing. We didn't know there was a difference between regular pants and hockey pants. So my brother and I were out there in shin pads that would still be too big for me and sweatpants. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> that's, that's a cool memory. So you guys, are you originally from Colorado? I was born in Colorado, yeah. Oh, very cool. We moved when I was pretty young. But All right. So when you get to Utah, how long did you play in Colorado first? Uh, I never actually played organized hockey in Colorado. It was always just street hockey with the neighbors and stuff. And then we didn't get into that learn to play hockey program that I was talking about was actually through Alta High School. Oh, okay. That a couple of our neighbors got us into and who knows how it worked out, how it did, but 
fell in love with it and started playing here. So I didn't actually play in high school until I moved away again, or I didn't play in Colorado rather until I moved away in high school. And okay, then I moved back to Colorado. All right. So uh, tell us about the travel teams that you played for here. Who did you? What organizations were you with? I started out just doing the house league hockey through County Ice Center, all that stuff. And then when I started taking it a little bit more serious, it was the Salt Lake County Lightning. Yeah. Up at Steiner, played there for a few years, had a blast there, and then I think it was my U14 year, I went to the Regulators. And then that's where I met Ben. I played for Ben that year. And then oh, geez. my second year, <laughs> U14, I think it was, then I played for the U16 regulators. And after that year, I think our team folded at Christmas. So oh. after that year, it was kind of, if you want to take it serious, now is the time you kind of have to leave. Yeah. So that was the end of my Utah hockey days. And then that's when the moving out started. All right. So that's, that's uh, a pretty serious thing to happen at a U16 year to have your team fold in the middle of the season. Yeah. So, uh, did you end up finishing that season somewhere else, or you just... Yeah, luckily it was still my second year of U14. So my coach from the Salt Lake Lightning was coaching the Park City U14s at the time. So he was probably the only guy that would have put me on a team, and I finished the year playing U14A, I think it was, something like that, just to get the ice time, and really right. without it we would have just been lost and not skating at all for the second half. Was that well, Volker? Yeah. Yeah, that's a guy you got to get on the yeah, podcast. No kidding. I don't I don't know if Volker says enough words that could be aired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Every other word out of his mouth is probably against, you know, KSL standards. That would be some stories. One of my favorite people in the world, and I don't know of anybody who's really put more of himself into – Utah hockey. I mean, that guy has sacrificed and sacrificed for so many kids, and that's awesome that you're you're one of those kids. And I I remember. I mean, I remember when all that was happening. I didn't know that was that that year, mm-hmm. but man, he goes out of his way. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's, when I was with the Salt Lake Lightning, he was the best thing that could have happened to me as far as falling in love with hockey. Like I was best buddies with his son, and he'd always do the backyard rink. Oh and yeah, gutted out a school bus for us and put in couches and a TV and all this. So. Every free weekend, he'd bring his school bus down and pick up as many guys as wanted to come to his house, and then we'd all just crash on his floor and spend the whole night on his backyard rink. Yeah, and for those that don't know, when you say his backyard rink, it's not, he didn't just throw down some boards and some, like, that was a full, basically, it was like a mini ice rink. It had actual boards. Oh, yeah. He built a barn around it, (laughs) which had a lounge in it with bubble hockey, and Mm -hmm. I mean, he does everything full bore, and that bus... (laughs) <laughs> is the same bus that we used for two Stanley Cup parties. Oh, yeah. And that thing has been through a lot of uh, good times and debauchery. And he's got great bread. <laughs> oh, yeah, the bread, Volker's bread. <laughs> plug Volker's Little bread. Plug. <laughs> got to plug Volker's bread. It's, uh, yeah, that's what I was going to give people for Christmas, actually. I went, to go, <laughs> I went to just go get a bunch of loaves of his bread. Okay, so uh, you have that, uh, that bump in the road in the middle. It's at U14, and now you've had the discussion with your parents. Have you already decided before then that this is what you this is going to be your identity? You're a hockey player now. You, this is what you want. I I think in my head I wanted to be a hockey player, but I never actually knew if it was going to happen. Mostly because I did not think my parents were going to let me move out at 15. I think if they knew that was going to be the path, they never would have signed me up for learn to skate. Right. But even like up until we met with the coaches in Colorado, it was still up in the air. Yeah, we're not going to let you do it. There's no way I'm going to let my son leave the house at 15. Because like I said, we had no hockey background at all. So there was like nobody around here that we had really talked to and nobody that we knew that had been through it that shipped their kid off to live with a different family. So it was tough for my parents to get their heads around it. And 
I don't know how it ended up happening, but <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool. And I and I guess I I didn't think about that part of it because I guess if your parents had no experience in hockey, you didn't have an older sibling or whatever. Uh, at some point, it's got to start cluing in. They got to start talking about kids that are leaving. But you know, with the lighting program, that didn't happen as as often. Mm-hmm. The lighting, for those that don't know, is a it's a house. It's more than house. It's the A level. Mm-hmm. So you have house, and then you have A, and then you have double A and triple A. So the Lightning are the introduction to travel hockey, basically. Yep. Except for they weren't travel, but they would play in tournaments. And they give you more practices a week. And uh, typically, kids go, well, like you did. You go from the Lightning, and then you decide that, or you become better, and then you make one of the other travel teams, and then mm-hmm. now your parents got to drop six grand to eight grand a year. <laughs> sorry, to <Mom>. put, <laughs> yeah, Sorry, Mom. <laughs> to put you on tour. Um, all right, so now that decision comes. You you go to Colorado, and we've talked about the road to Colorado several times on the show. And unfortunately, it's it was the path at the time. Yeah. And now you have to give up everything that you've known here. Go live with a strange family and play. You played for the Rampage. Yep. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Who was your coach, and what was your your like first times out of the rink there? Mm-hmm. Um, my first. Two years of U16, my coach was Pat Bingham. So he had a super impressive resume. He won coach of the year in the East Coast League and worked around the NHL for a while. And then my year of 18s was Andrew Sherman, who was actually the owner of the Rampage, and he owns the rink, and it's kind of his whole show down there. So those are my coaches for those three years. Pat Bingham did a lot for me because when I showed up my first year of 16s, like I was a good player around Utah, but then you get there and you're with other players and – one kid on our team is already committed to Colorado College and all this stuff, and I was out of my league, yeah. honestly. So they did a lot to develop me and turn me into an actual hockey player that would be able to take it seriously. So I definitely needed my three years there. There's no way I would have been able to leave to play junior before I played 18s. And then just the strength and conditioning that we had there, we had the workout area right there in the rink, so we didn't have to go anywhere else. And they really just did a lot to develop person and then – also your hockey and your strength and everything else and just build a strong foundation. So I think that was the best fit for me. You know, the Thunderbirds were way out of my league. I would have never made that team, and I don't think they even sniffed me. Oh, well. So for me at the time, the Rampage was the perfect organization that would take me in and give me the time that I needed to develop and really work with me. Yeah, that's good. Um, So you talk about uh, being a great player in, in Utah, and that's usually the guy that can go end to end. But to be a great player in these other organizations, when you get there, that means you're a good player in that system, and you know where to be, when to be, make passes before mm-hmm. you get the puck, stuff like that. Yeah. Was that was that a shock for you to all of a sudden realize everything was a system? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's definitely a learning curve, and the faster you can learn, the better, that you're not always the guy that's going to score a lot of goals. So if you can add that to your artillery, say, where if you get the opportunity, you're still going to put the puck in the net. But for me, my identity ever since I left has become I'll be a strong player 200 feet, and even if I'm not doing something spectacular on the offensive side, you know, I'll be strong in the D zone. I'm not going to be a liability. I like to think you know, I'm good enough to play with high-level players and grind in the corner and get them the puck. And then on top of that, you just start finding ways to get ice time. I've taken a lot of pride in the penalty kill aspect of the game. Oh where when you're younger, more immature, that never even crosses your mind that like, oh, yeah, I really got to take care of the penalty kill. (laughs) Here, when I'm 12, I don't care. I just want to score a goal. Right. If you're on the penalty kill in Utah, you're still trying to score goals. And, yeah, you're rushing down the ice every time. It's funny. So, and I've talked about this with other guys, too. And Trevor Lewis is a 
prime example. His role changed every time he was on a different team. You know, he well, he put up 100 points in the USHL one year. Mm-hmm. And, but of course, he's on a line with like Kyle Ocposo and stuff, but <laughs> and that helps. But um, his role definitely changed when he hit the NHL. I think he's six goals a year now. You know, you yeah. go from 100 points in a season to six points or mm-hmm. 10 points in a season, but he's still a first-round draft pick. They don't want him to – I mean, obviously they want him to score goals, but his role isn't to score goals. Mm-hmm. His number one role on the job – and while he'll always, I mean, I think even after his Kings career is over, somebody's going to come after him to be on that penalty kill because he's fantastic at it. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I had a buddy that uh, was a, a friend of mine, and he was also somebody I represented. I got him hockey sticks and stuff like that. He got drafted literally because he was the best face-off guy in major juniors. They, that's the whole reason he yeah. got drafted. They knew he wasn't going to be a long-term NHL player, but the Rangers took him in the first round to come in and win face-offs and then get off the ice. <laughs> Works for me. Yeah, easy job. Yeah, but it's it's that thing. So at what you realize that's your role, or did somebody tell you that's your role? Is I just kind of realized that was my role. It's always been, you know, my plan. I show up somewhere, and then you just do whatever you can to contribute to the team. So, like I said, when I got there, and there's all these way better skilled players, way better skaters, all these things. Like, okay, well, I'm not going to compete for the role that they have right now. So where am I going to fit in? And then on each different team that you get to, like you said, your role changes. So you got to get there and you got to try and figure it out quickly and then excel in that role. That's so impressive to hear you say that because a lot of kids have a hard time with the humility of saying I'm not the best player yeah, or I'm not, you know, it's, it's tough. Ben, you still think you're the best player. <laughs> Ben's the best player. <laughs> yeah, of course. On his team, he's the best player. <laughs> <laughs> that's why but, I run it. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Run the, if you run the team, you can make sure you're always the best player. Yeah, you get the most ice time. You always start. That's how I. That's <laughs> the only way I get to be on a team is if I start it. <laughs> so that works too. But, uh, I mean, to say that and to go out and realize that in – it it can tur- it obviously turned into something for you. It's working right. for you. You you end up in NCAA Division One. But first, you're in the NA, and you had you had two seasons in Amarillo, or a season and a half. Season and a half, yeah. So this is the part I, uh, that surprised me. You were the captain your second year, yeah, r- right? Yep. And then you got traded. Yes. That's kind of unheard of. What? So <laughs> I mean, what, hear this story. Yeah, I want, this is the story I wanted to hear. Oh, is it is it a story you're comfortable telling? I mean, yeah, I don't see why not. It was <laughs> just kind of um, me and the coach didn't get along very well. So after I was named captain, it just kind of like made that dispute or whatever you want to call it like worse and more in the spotlight and everything else. So it was on almost. Every aspect of everything, it was just clashing personalities and views on what should be happening and how I should be dealing with, you know, the other players on the team and things like that. <clears throat> Excuse me. So it got to a point, the game around Christmas, and that was just the end of it for me. I was kind of fed up. I was having a terrible year personally, and I just needed to resurrect the second half of my season. I didn't want to go into Niagara University coming off a terrible year and down on myself mentally and everything else so it got to a point where I just said I can't play another game here for mostly selfish reasons to be honest uh from the team perspective maybe it'll be a little bit of a wake-up call but the decision was mostly I need to figure it out for the second half of the year so that I feel more prepared going into college that's pretty mature and we had a meeting and 
I requested it, and then it took a while to get the trade done, and they didn't want me around the team while it was getting done. So there was a stint where super awkward for me and uncomfortable because you're back around Christmas time, and there's three weeks where you just don't have a team. Yeah. So during that, you're kind of second-guessing yourself, like, oh, man, what's going to come of this? Am I going to totally like ruin my second half of the year or whatever else? So for that time, I was just trying to focus on spending time with family and everything else, and then eventually the call came that I got traded to the Minnesota Wilderness, and then my second half was a lot better than my first, and it worked out well. That's a that's a huge gamble, and how old are you at that point, 19? Yeah. I mean, that's that's pretty mature to decide that you needed to be out of that situation, because right or wrong, we've, we've seen it with in the NHL, we've seen it with a ton of other, like, look at what happened with Dustin Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, Dustin Brown was a star in the NHL, the captain of the LA Kings. And when Suter came in, it, it, that, it didn't work. Yeah. Right. And all of a sudden you hear all these things and they, his, Dustin Brown's ice time is non-existent. So his numbers are non-existent. He's not on the power play anymore. He's not, he's not in the places where he was so, um, you know, he contributed so much before. Mm-hmm. And then Suter gets fired and Dustin Brown starts getting ice time again. And all of a sudden he's a freaking all-star again. So it's you don't think about those things at that level. You don't yep. think about, all right, well, at Junior A, this coach knows everything. You just I, I've always assumed that, right? But the more coaches you know that coach Junior A, a lot of times you're like, how did that guy get that job? How does he even have a job coaching kids? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, but your whole future depends on that. Mm-hmm. And to, you know, make the decision. What You committed the year before to Niagara? Uh, no, it was the coach that I had the year before. Uh, he left over the summer to take the assistant coaching job at Niagara. So he brought a couple guy or one guy with him that year from Amarillo, and then since then he committed me and my current roommate. So it was really all through him. I committed at the very beginning of my second year, right after the showcase. Okay. But it was 100% through him. That was another kind of grinded the gears of the new coach just because he felt like, I don't know, it was like under his nose or something just because we didn't discuss it before it happened or – anything else. So it was really, it was Matt Nicholson. I played for him the year before. I had a lot of respect for him, really enjoyed the way that he coached. And then when he got the job at Niagara, he came to Eric Cooley immediately and brought him up that year. And then in the following year, he committed myself and Luke Edgerton. And I guess says he, he, uh, maybe enjoyed coaching us in junior too. What did, uh, what did your coach at Niagara say when you were having a rough time? Like, you know, and you said you want out of there. Did yeah. you talk to him? Or yeah, they were do? super cool, super helpful through the entire thing. Um, when I had that three-week stint and I was kind of worried about it and worried that they'd be unhappy that I didn't have a team or anything else, they just said, hey, enjoy your long Christmas. Like, it's a good time to have an extra break. Well, so <laughs> they were super cool that way about keeping me calm, making me not feel like my spot was in jeopardy for the next year or anything crazy was going to happen that way. And then, yeah, they were just great. All last year, they they kind of helped set up the Minnesota Wilderness thing because the coach there, Tim Madden, Tim Madsen, was a Niagara alumni. So that's kind of how the middle, Minnesota Wilderness route took place is they said, hey, we've got this guy. Right now he doesn't have a team. It's a special situation down there, but he's a good player, decent guy. Like That's good. That's good. To, well, yeah. you know, the networking is a lot of what, yeah. what makes us successful. But, but it's still, that's just a crazy – It's it's a crazy story. I, I honestly didn't know any of that. Yeah. But I know when you see, like when I do research on people and I see that you're a captain of a team and then all of a sudden you get traded, there's got to be a story behind mm-hmm. that. And, you know, I've heard it 
the other like in college too, right? I've seen where players go and they commit and they get there and they play a year. This happened with Evan. Oh, yeah. You play a year, and you're 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 it's everything's good. You have an outstanding year, and then all of a sudden your coach leaves, and mm-hmm. you have a new coach who did not recruit you. Yep. Maybe doesn't like the way you play, and all of a sudden your playing time's done. What do you you can't just leave? Yeah. You can't demand yeah. a trade in college. Well, it kind of happened with Trevor too, right? When they switched coaches, right. Suter loved his game, and yeah, well, yeah, and we talked about that on the, on the show that. Trevor was a healthy scratch. I thought it was nine games. He said it was 11 straight games. He was a healthy scratch. They had put him on the market to trade him. And for some reason, nobody wanted him. And they're in, they barely made playoffs. They fired that other coach, Murray. They brought in Suter and made playoffs with that eighth. They, they beat the Sharks the last day of the regular season. They had to win that game to get into playoffs for that eighth seed and then freaking just ran through the playoffs and won the Stanley Cup. Yeah, they went yeah. like 16-4. and four. Yeah, and Trevor <laughs> was a huge part of it. Yeah, he had the the turnover to beat the Canucks, right, in game five? Yeah, and, and so it, it's just so it, – it's hard because I've coached a lot and you try to see the best in all the players and you try like, – it's tough when you cut a kid, right, and it's tough when you don't play a kid a lot. You know, I, I still think of the last couple of years I coached and – at that point, the kids are older and they they're, you know, they're they're more friends, right? Even though there's an age gap or whatever, you they're they're young adults at this point when you're coaching them, and you feel bad. You get to know them personally, and you still bench them, and it's tough. <laughs> it's tough. I mean, it really is. And you try, you hope you're doing the right thing for them and for the team, but when they're little, you just play everybody, and that's I mean, that's how you should be. But at the U16s and U18s, when you're trying to get kids scholarships and you're trying to get them junior a tryouts or or a path you know it's tough it's it's tough to know what to do with kids and it's tough if they don't play within your system you know and and not everybody fits in the same system and i have my mindset of what i like my kids to do and not all kids fit that system but there are other coaches that run completely different systems that other kids fit perfectly in does that make sense or my rap no you're good (laughs) All right, so um, you get traded. Now you go to Niagara. We've talked about it a little bit. Um, how much playing time are you getting? You get are you as a freshman? It's usually not a lot. Yeah, uh, it's a good situation coming in this year. I think we have eleven freshmen. So jeez, oh, it kind of opens a door for us that there's a lot of competition for the spots in the lineup, and it's feasible that you can get in the lineup just because there's so many freshmen. So just working hard trying to get in the lineup. So far, so good. Knock on wood. I've been. Happy with my playing time. I think I've been playing well. I think they're happy with the way I've been playing for the most part. So Special teams? Yeah, I'm a penalty kill guy. Not oh. a power play guy. Haven't been since I was 12, <laughs> so that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> well, that's good. Well, that's awesome. That's, that's so good to hear. And uh, it's, it's fun to, you know, as we do the weekly update here at the Utah Puck Report, it's always fun to – I try to get pictures of you guys. I can't go on – like, I wish I could just go on and steal – because <laughs> there are good pictures yeah. of you playing and there's some you know some good action shots but i have to rely on your parents to send me ones that are that are not copyrighted <laughs> apparently there's all these rules and laws and stuff and and we have to follow them here never mind those yeah <laughs> if it was just my podcast like if i was just doing if i was just doing it out of my basement we could you know we could run clips or whatever um so so you yeah, so just between me and you and the eleven people listening, <laughs> Ben Wilner was your coach for a while, and you Absolutely. still sur- you still survive that, and you're still friends with him. Still friends. But how's Ben as a coach? 
I think Ben's awesome as oh, a coach. Oh, don't just say no, that because no, no, he's no, here. No. <laughs> he's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, though, coming up through Utah, I never would have even left Utah. never would have taken hockey as seriously as I did if it wasn't for Ben because, like I said, my family having no knowledge about hockey – that all came from Ben, right? So Ben has no knowledge of hockey. <laughs> he had more than we had. <laughs> Sold somebody. Oh, yeah. Seriously. Ben, you're still coaching. Yep. Who do you coach? U18 uh, Park City. Oh, Park I. City. Yep. I thought you were still with the Grizzlies. Nope. nope. <laughs> okay, Park so City. you're coaching U18 Park City. Um, how are you guys doing this year? Uh, we're, we're getting better. It, it's kind of tough this year at the 18 level. There just wasn't a lot of kids all around. Like the Golden Eagles, I think they only had six or seven guys show up at tryouts and, you know, we kind of just had enough to get a team together. So it's been a little tough. A lot of our guys play like high school and high school selects and they're playing, you know, for us. So because you guys are double A. Yeah. Is that what you guys? Are yeah, you we're double A. Yeah. And so, Okay. So does West Coast have an 18? No. They have uh And the Eagles don't have an 18? Eight, yeah, Eagles, this is like the first year in a while they didn't have an 18. The Grizzlies have an 18? Nope. You guys are the only in-state? 18. Yep. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah, and we barely got enough guys. Like, it, it's just a tough year. It's one of those years where there's just not a lot of guys, and I think from our team last year the first year 18s we had three or four guys go out of town and then from the 16s coming up from park city uh there's like you know one guy one of the kids went up to montana there's three kids who went uh to to portland to play for a team there oh, wow. okay so there there's been you know a lot of guys have moved up but like this year at the 16 level i mean there were 50 kids at tryouts so it's just one of those yeah. In between years, so. Yeah, well, you know, I I ran an organization for a while. And as you're <laughs> – it's crazy because one year you have so many teams that you're like – we need or so many players that you're like, we can't just send everybody away, so we're going to have double A and single A mm-hmm. and, and kind of have a farm club system. And then the very next year you don't have enough players to fill your 16s or whatever. It's it's pretty crazy. And I don't I don't know what that flux is. And it seems to happen, like I watched it happen with uh, girls' soccer, too. Mm-hmm. You have all these girls that are committed to play college soccer, and yet you don't have enough to fill a whole team of competition players here. Yeah, It's pretty that, unreal. That happened to us last year. We had uh, I was originally supposed to coach 16 single A in Park City, and we didn't end up having enough guys. So they put me to uh, the assistant coach on the 18 double A. But oh, well. we, I had to call, you know, the nine or ten guys and let them know we we were going to have a team, and it was kind of tough because nope, it's I've like, been there. I'm it's, sorry, you don't have, yeah. you know, we don't have a spot for you. And now they don't have a p- place to play, or exactly. a couple of them will land somewhere. That's tough. Mm-hmm. We got to get that fixed in Utah. We got to stop diluting and having. Like, maybe we have too many organizations. We got to make sure we have enough places for everybody to play. But uh, we got to make them better. I don't know if Alex, did you play high school here? I played my freshman year in high school because my brother was a senior in high school and he was playing for Alta. So I was playing on the U16 regulators and then also on Alta High School so that I could play with my older brother. So what do you guys think of this? Uh, and I am honestly not trying to pick sides or start a fight with it. I just want to get everybody's opinion on it. And I, I, we are going to have an episode on it. What do you think of the fact that they're not letting the Tier 1 kids play high school hockey now? I honestly don't even know anything about it. I think I heard the first bit this morning at that skate. 
But off the tip of my head, I don't understand why they wouldn't. I think if, you know, it's a high school, so you want the kids to have school pride or if you want the other students in the school to get behind the team and watch them win or whatever else, if you have a good hockey player that plays for that school, it's only going to help grow the game if you get people who aren't hockey fans all of a sudden they hear on the morning announcements or whatever else that the hockey team has a game and they're winning or they're in the state championship or whatever else. Let the best players play, especially where they're going to be seen by these other kids that might become hockey fans, yeah. and just let the hockey get better. Let the good players play. Those kids will go watch if their teams are winning. Ben, what do you think? Um, you know, I, I think I kind of see both sides. Uh, I really agree with Alex that, you know, it. I mean, I played high school hockey. I played for Brighton, you know, my freshman through senior year. And, you know, you take a lot of pride in, in wearing your your school's logo and colors. And you go to, you know, you go to these games. And, like, when I was playing for Brighton, there was, you know, we'd load up Cottonwood Heights. Yep. And there's a ton of people there. And it feels great, you know. And at the same time, I look at the other side, and, and I think high school hockey here is – you know it it's hard for like there's not as many kids playing yep. i mean when i was playing in 2005 there were 50 teams right now there's like 20 so there's a lot less kids playing and i think it's kind of hard you know when you have a team like viewmont goes and plays a team that's maybe not so good and they get pumped 15 nothing you know these kids don't really want to play right so and i completely understand that cuz when i played at the u even in college we were getting beat 20 nothing oh yeah but you know it's, it's tough to say they should be able to play for their school and have that school pride and at the same time you know it, it yeah if i'm looking at it i'm a tier 1 kid and i'm looking at the caliber of of hockey it's it's not the same as tier 1 so why would i do it other than the fact that i can get some ice time but yeah, and that's the thing is you get ice time, and, but like you said before, you get to play for your high school. Yep. And that's yeah. the fun part of it because playing Tier 1, nobody comes to watch. Yeah. Nobody's and, cheering well, for you. Those are empty rinks. I yeah. think they have to keep that in mind when they're saying whether or not they can play or not because for selfish reasons, they might want these Tier 1 players, okay, you're ours, you're only playing for us, this is your only focus. But for a lot of these players, if they don't have the opportunity to go move out a Utah player, that's not their desire, they don't want to leave their family or anything else, playing for their high school can be – could be their hockey memory, right, that they cherish exactly through everything. Because even moving out and playing junior and now playing in college, some of the most fun memories I have are when I was playing as a freshman for Alta, right, and my brother was on the team because all these high school girls would come and they'd be chanting <laughs> yeah. Truscott because my brother was the big dog in high school and I'd be skating around pretending they're chanting for me. Like yeah, Even though it wasn't the highest level of hockey I've ever played, it's still one of my best hockey memories, being able to play with my brother and the atmosphere and the high school and everything else. Well, I'll tell you, who are the first ones to uh, promote the fact that, you know, Trevor Lewis played at Brighton and Daniel Brickley played at Skyline. Mm-hmm. Anytime mm-hmm. the Kings are mentioned, it's the Utah high school hockey, right? Yep. They want to pump that tire, but at the same time, and I get it. If I can see the part where if you don't let the imports play, because that's a rule in Minnesota. Yep. You have some high schools um, – I, I could, there's a rule in Minnesota that you can't bring in imports and let them play. So it doesn't matter. An import doesn't mean out of country mm-hmm. in this context. It just means out of state. So you can't mm-hmm. go as West Coast and recruit kids out of Minnesota and bring them here and let them play Utah high school hockey. Mm-hmm. But if you're a kid that grew up and went to the junior high there or you're from Utah and now you're playing for West Coast, I think you should be allowed to play in your high school. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that, yeah. And I think the kids that are out there – 
I, I think parents will complain if they're getting pummeled by a kid that goes out and puts up 13 goals or whatever. But like with Mason Manick, who could, I think could skate end to end in any high school game he wanted to, I think he had like two or three goals over the whole season that he played, but he, he had a ton of assists. And the yeah. kid just went out and tried to make everybody around him better. And yeah. I think if that was the case, and it seems like be the kind of player you would be, and and Ben would probably just try to snipe everybody. But <laughs> yeah, just, try to break the glass behind the net. Yeah, tried that this morning. Yeah, and, and it doesn't matter. Like to me, that's that's what it is. And it, I guess it doesn't matter what we think. I just like to hear the discussion. I like to get as many viewpoints on air as possible, and uh, and then that just gives us more to talk about when we bring in the people from Utah High School Hockey and West Coast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If we, I, can, if we can get them all in, I just, I just want to hear it out. And Yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to hear what their reasoning is, right? Because yeah. most of these people who are running these, you know, running the board and stuff like that, like they don't even really have kids playing. So why is it oh, up is that to true? them? I didn't know that. Some of them. I don't know. You know. And I don't have a – I don't have a, a, a I was gonna say dog in the fight or yeah. <laughs> horse in the race or whatever. I don't have a kid playing. I don't have a kid playing anymore. I just want to know why it happened. And like I said, Tegan's senior year it did affect him a little bit, uh, but he was with the Mustangs, and I could see the difference there. Yeah, yeah, and but, I I think too like what I've heard from some of my kids like last year, some of our kids would, you know, hey coach, I like I got to miss practice. I'm like, well, why? It's like, well, my high school coach said like I cannot play if. I miss any of our practices or anything. And it's like, you know, if, if I was a high school coach, I would want you going to the higher up one. Like I can see like oh. skip their practice, come to our game. But, you know, hey, you're going to get a lot more out of going to the travel team practice probably than the high school one. Sorry, high school people. But, they, but those guys still have to develop their system or come up with how they're going to play in a game. Mm-hmm. My rule when I was a coach was you never miss one of our games. Like so, you never miss a travel team game for high school anything. Agreed. And but you could miss my practice for a high school game, but you couldn't miss my practice for a high school practice. I agree with all three of those. So it took a long time to come up with that, but I mean, I coached from I mean, I coached freaking seventeen years with kids, with, and you come up with all kinds of problems. And then I came up with I had kids that didn't want to play on Sundays. Yeah, and like the that's when all your championships are. <laughs> Well, and the high school coaches shouldn't be weighing that against your travel team. Right. Like, wh- why would you do that to a kid? Yeah. That just, that's selfish. You know, it, you know, kids are playing high school to play for their school, to play with their friends. It's more of a for fun type of thing. I mean, it's it's not even a school-sponsored sport, right? It's a club. Yeah, it's a club. So, and there are, I, I know in college there are certain rules with clubs as far as, like, you basically can't have cuts and the rules are different than they are with. Oh, yeah, I put club. Yeah, yep, same. <laughs> I was a club participant. I wasn't even an athlete. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> an that's athlete. How, I think that's how I made the team is they weren't allowed to have cuts. Yeah, same. <laughs> we had 12 guys on the U when I played. Are you year. serious? Yeah. I don't know what happened to it after I left there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the they same. lost it for a little while. And then no, it came I definitely back. remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, were you part of that? No, I wasn't part of that. <laughs> I left the organization and. Good running condition. Yeah. <laughs> I did not spear anybody on a road trip. I didn't oh, do yeah, that fan, stuff. Right? Yeah. It, for, yeah, for those that don't know, the University of Utah lost their team for a few years because one of their players, we're not going to mention his name, spear, <laughs> speared a fan. Shouldn't have been standing there. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> so as, the, as the, player was, the player got kicked out of a game, 
I and the fans were into it. They threw a beer on him or something, and they so he he speared the fan with his hockey stick, which is a I think it's a felony. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yeah, that the University of Utah suspended the team for a while. Um, I had a great time when I played there, and but I I did well at Weber State one year. We had to get escorted out of the arena with police because uh, one of our players got mouthy with the fans. We'd also brought our girlfriends on that trip, and then that player's girlfriend got really mouthy with the fans. And then they started. <laughs> we had we had three back to back fights on the ice, and the fans lost it. It was at Colorado State. The fans lost it, and they were coming after us. They were trying to come over the glass. <laughs> so they literally they called the game and had the police escort us to the bus and drive us off campus. Yeah, when I it's when I nuts. played at the U, <laughs> but Weaver didn't lose their team. <laughs> <laughs> I think when I played my like first year at the U or second year, you know, we had maybe ten, fifteen people in the stands. And my parents were up there selling slices of Little Caesars, help raise money for the team. Yeah, so there weren't really any fights in the stands till like they started getting good. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> that's the good part about not being good, I guess. Yeah. All right, so Alex, I got the, the couple questions I always like to hear um, that I like to ask to finish up mm-hmm. is one outside of your family, and you can't say Ben. <laughs> who has helped you the most? You can oh, say Ben. You can All say right. you can say Ben if it's Ben, and you might have already answered this question. But who really helped you outside of your family um, become a better hockey player and focus on hockey? Or- so outside of my family, uh, everybody like there's a lot of people that chip in here and there, but as far as the major influences that kind of turned me into the hockey player that I am and the person that I am and everything else, it would start with Volker Ritzinger, right, because he made me fall in love with the game. I had a blast, like the most fun memories I've ever had, doing any silly things that we could come up with, painting our faces for championship games, <laughs> things I just really bought into as a 10-year-old that oh, yeah. made going to the rink and hanging out with those guys and practicing like the most fun thing I could ever think to do. And then after that, when I started playing regulators, I'm going to say Ben, I have to, because (laughs) as far as guys that have been around, I played for Ben when I was 13, and since then, I've relied on him every single summer to keep me in shape. We work out together. Up until Niagara started sending the workout plans, he came up with every single one of them. And as a 13-year-old, after I stopped playing for his team, he could have easily written me off like, okay... I coached that kid. Now he's going to play for another coach, whatever else. But I wanted to take hockey seriously, right, but I had no idea how. So the only thing I knew is that on YouTube there's all these videos that NHL players work out over the summer. I had no idea how to work out or where to work out or anything else. So Ben took me under his wing. He drove 20 minutes out of his way every single day to pick me up from my house to drive me 40 minutes to some little gym that he went to, Bodywise Fitness, and he would help me work out, teach me, you know, just basic, like stretch this or do nice. anything else to start laying a foundation to be able to work out and then drive me all the way 40 minutes back home and then 20 minutes back to his house, which for him at the time to do that for some random 13-year-old kid, it's like it was a huge sacrifice for him. But if he didn't do that, then I would have never really learned how to take hockey seriously. So That's cool to hear. And that's good on you, Ben. That's uh, I know people have done that for you as well. And, yep. And, but let's be honest. When you were making up these workouts, weren't you just stealing them off Evan's stuff? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was taking them from Evan 100%. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, okay. And then I'd like to finish up with advice that you'd have, like whether you're thinking back to you when you're 10 or 12 or when you're thinking – to a a Utah hockey player right now, what's your advice for that kid? My advice would be 
don't take it too seriously. You know, don't beat yourself up over it. And the biggest thing that I wish I would have known moving out and everything else is that no matter what's going on around you, no matter what people are saying about you or what somebody thinks you're going to do or how somebody thinks you're going to perform, the biggest thing is that you have to believe in yourself. And then it gets back to not taking it too seriously where you have to realize that it's not the most important thing in the world. That you have a life beyond hockey. So, so what if this person's right and I go out there and fall on my face and I'm terrible? Then you know I still have people that care about me. I still have all this other stuff to fall back on. So when people say things, you know, take to heart what you need to take to heart. But if somebody's trying to cut you down or make you feel like, oh, you're you're from Utah, so you'll never make it in outside hockey, yeah. which is a super common one. Or people, oh, you're from hockey, or you're from Utah, you can't play any serious hockey, that kind of thing. Just believe in yourself and go out there and do what you can and figure if you can prove yourself, great, then you've done something cool. And if not, then you have other things that you can do and it's not that big of a deal. Well, that's awesome. And you know what? It's young men like you too that uh, you've you've raised the bar for all of us here. And hopefully the, the next generation isn't going to hear, oh, you're from Utah, you're not going to make it. Because they're mm-hmm. going to say, oh, you're from Utah, like Trescott or uh, Brickley or Trevor Lewis. or You know, now there's a list. It used to just be Steve Conowalchuk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and now we have a list of guys. We have more players playing NCAA right now than ever before. Mm-hmm. Ever. All at one time. It's amazing. And you guys, it was so much fun to watch you with Volker's team. And and uh, my son played with you guys a couple times mm-hmm. in a couple tournaments. Yeah. It was so much, you guys were just, that was so much fun to watch. You guys went to Europe, dude, didn't you? I didn't get to go to that. I didn't get to go to that. I wouldn't send my kid to Europe with Volker. (laughs) 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 Oh, I absolutely would. Anyway, okay. uh, I want to thank you guys for being on the show, Uh, Ben. We're going to keep having you on every once in a while (laughs) as long as you learn how to talk in the microphone and have something useful to say. (laughs) (laughs) Alex, we're huge fans. We're going to keep watching. We're going to keep updating. Best of luck for you this season. Thank you very much. And for Niagara, can't wait to see some of the games and. uh, you know, if you're listening to this, you can catch these games. They do stream most of his games, and uh, you're not allowed to steal the pictures and put them on your podcast, but you can definitely watch <laughs> watch all the hockey you want to watch. Uh, if you want to listen to more of the Puck Report, we've got uh, we've got tons of stuff coming up. Like We're going to talk more about the Utah High School Tier 1 thing. We've got, we've got stuff coming up on mental illness and on concussions. These are going to be uh, serious discussions we're going to have doctors and stuff people that are educated yeah we're going to get all crazy with that Uh, if you want to hear more about it uh text puck to 57500 you can also subscribe to us off the ksl sports app kslsports.com under podcasts or 1035thearrow.com we're in all those places we're on itunes we're everywhere you get podcasts uh come check us out guys once again thanks for coming out thanks for having me and that's the utah puck report